everyone. It's good to be back hosting The Breakdown. We have quite the episode for you this month. In this episode of our housing mini-series, we're discussing purchasing a home or condo as an investment with special guest Bruce Joseph from Anthem Mortgage Group. Bruce is an industry and community leader who presses for better, more transparent processes for mortgage brokers. Bruce dedicates his time to spreading financial literacy and knowledge, and as such is a frequent contributor to national publications including BNN, The Globe and Mail, CBC, Canadian Business, Vice Magazine, and Bloomberg. Whoa, what a resume. Some of the topics we talked about include housing, the difference between speculating and investing, what the future looks like for millennials, will the market correct itself, and so much more. Take a listen to find out what Bruce's opinions are on all of this. Thank you so much, Bruce, for joining us today um, for our housing mini-series uh, episode four of purchasing a home or a condo as an investment. Um, and I would just like to welcome back our millennial crew, Jeff, hey. Jen, hi, and Sarah. Hello. And as you know, I am your, ho- your host, Sasha. Um, okay, let's just jump right into this, guys. So... Questions. Let's shoot. Investing in 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 a in a condo in a home, you know. Well, interestingly enough, uh, it, it, investing is a word that's that's used incorrectly, especially if you're thinking of buying a condo downtown Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, which seems to be uh, what everyone wants to talk about. Um, I've often said that well, what typically people do is subsidize tenants right now. Um, you, you want to really differentiate what the difference is between an investor and a speculator. If you're engaging in this market at these prices, where let's say, for example, you gave me the, uh, I got you the least expensive interest rate, and you put on a reasonable down payment and bought a condo downtown and uh, went to rent it out, you might find that you're in fact losing money every month. That clearly is not an investment. That's clearly a speculation because there's a hope there that maybe the price will rise. Mm-hmm. And virtually every indicator uh, available right now would say the opposite going forward. Right. Right. So, so to, if you wanted to conclude that, specifically investing downtown core Toronto's, would that be a good investment right now? Um, in almost every scenario, the answer would probably be no. Almost. Almost every. What about if we aren't focusing in downtown core of Toronto? What if we are someone that thinks we can kind of have an income property? Sure. Maybe outside of the city, maybe just like in a suburb or something. Is that going to be a possibility? It's better, uh, but but certainly uh, the returns could be quite low given uh, the extreme pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I say virtually is is you know real estate's not the stock market, right? Uh, you there is inside trading, and it's perfectly uh, acceptable. Right. Uh, what you can do in real estate, you would. Uh, Likely end up in prison for um, in, in to, uh, by the yeah exactly in the open market <laughs> yeah, yeah because more and more yeah. of course we're hearing purchasing real estate um, as an investment sure. right and you know what does that even mean is that even realistic in this in today's current you know financial market and you know would it even be a good re- retirement savings vehicle 
um, in the current climate right. of Canada, you know, specifically in Toronto where I feel prices, not that I'm clearly no expert, mm-hmm. um, um, but just from my personal experience of looking for homes, sure. look, looking to purchase a home, looking and then looking to purchase a condo because homes well, are too expensive. Well, let's just back it up for a second. Let me ask yeah. you, uh, when you say an investment... Mm-hmm. Um, you, you want to be careful to to differentiate between a home and an investment, right? Right. Uh, most people cross those lines, and you don't want to. I mean, you could you could go as far back as you know textbooks like um, Economics One Hundred and One, Adam Smith. Like this. shelter is a great way to have a forced savings account, um, but but it really you want to look at that differently. This is you know when you hang your hat. You know, raise your family. It's it's a very emotional purchase, and it's difficult enough to cater that down. Um, but that is dramatically different than when you go out and buy a rental property. So you want to separate those two uh, dramatically. Um, so if you were specifically looking at a home, mm-hmm. the answer is never. It's all relative. It's completely relative. Uh, if I said to you, "Look, you want to buy? You, you're dead set on buying a, a detached home in Toronto." Um, if I said to you, "Look, uh, if you've got the money." And I said, how, how, how much would it bother you if this dropped 25% in value in the next six months? And you were like, oh, it's fine, I'm loaded. You're like, okay, well, now's a good time to <laughs> buy that house, <laughs> right? The vast majority of people will not answer that question that way, right? right? So for the vast majority, that's why you have to use virtually because, because it's, it is unique and relative to the situation. The beautiful part about investing, though, like outside of your home, mm-hmm. specifically not your house, is it, it becomes... Like surgery, it's very unemotional. Uh, there, there, there are formulas to follow um, and fundamentals. Uh, so the decision-making process um, can be quite objective. Uh, actually, it is completely objective. You, you can apply it. Questions. Um, can you get a good rate of return relative to the risk buying, if you want to use downtown Toronto, because that's the familiar area, but we can use other areas. Um, is it a good time? Uh, the returns are either non-existent or so low that it's very difficult from a cash flow perspective to get anybody excited. Mm-hmm. So why are people still buying these? Right? Um, you, you could drive till you qualify if you have that. You know, If I say, I want to make 7% or 8%, well, okay, so you can't get that in downtown core. You can start driving to remote areas. I would oh, has- well, Hold on. Yeah. Let's back up for one sure. second. When we talk about the downtown core, mm-hmm. like, because I'm from, yeah. pardon? I'm talking condos mostly. Condo, yeah. okay. Um... Like, literally, like, mm-hmm. Yorkville, mm-hmm. Financial District, mm-hmm. that area. Mm-hmm. Not, not like, Young and Egg. Sure. Like that. Okay. Yeah, and, and when, when you look at those numbers, it's when you look at the price which you could acquire a piece of real estate for, and then you take your rent and subtract from your annual rent all the expenses, mm-hmm. you, you get basically a... a an income for, for the year, a net income. And if you simply run a multiple where you divide that by, by the, what you're paying, you will get a return on the actual asset. This is very simple math. And that return should bore you to death um, or, or cause you to really question how anyone could buy one of these um, at, at these returns. And the answer becomes obvious. It's speculation. It's not investing. You know, People are not buying these in scale for the right reason. Capital appreciation is, is, a, is a way to invest, but that's a different way of looking at things. If you're talking from a retirement plan, fixed income, um, you want a return per month that's going to make you happy. 
uh, that, that's going to satisfy the cash flow you want to actually retire on. And when you're looking at property from a capital appreciation uh, standpoint, that gets a bit more complicated. You need to look at cash inflows. Is there investing going into a particular city? I'll give you an example of exactly what you want to stay away from. Um, any city that's declining in population, that, that's devastating to the real estate market. You could film The Walking Dead in some <laughs> northern towns where population is declining because we see a factory dependent city where they close it down. This happens mm, often. Exactly, right? I have family from there. It's a sad, sad place. We could all buy a house there right now, you guys. All, all yeah. four of us. Oh, but, who but then you have there? to, yeah, that's the catch thing. You have to leave. But we could carpool, though, right? So that would be sweet. So you raise an interesting point. It does, it's, if something is cheap, does it make it worth buying? Right. And the right. answer is no. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, if, it's le- if it's inexpensive with a probability of, you know, Money going, you're looking for, is the government investing capital? Are companies going to this town? Mm-hmm. Is immigration heavy? Because in first world countries, the natural population growth is typically quite low or negative. Mm-hmm. So, so these, are, these are things you want to look at if you're looking more from the appreciation side. But the real, this is one of the more important things I'll, I'll likely say that it is, is the vast majority of the appreciation we have in real estate you know, the last two decades is contingent on, on the growth of the credit and mortgage industry. Lower interest rates continually falling over year after year. Um, fairly easy, accessible mortgage mortgages, and and this slow sort of engine where where people have kind of gotten on. The, it takes years for this to accumulate. Like we we have the most educated public on how to buy real estate right now than ever before. Uh, the average person knows how to flip a house. Yeah, that, my family. My family knew how to do that. And my dad's now got it in his head that he's going to do exactly this. He's going to buy a home as an investment. Yeah. He thinks he's going to buy like a detached, uh, semi-detached, yeah. and rent both sides out. And then one day he's going to own the whole thing and sell it. And yeah. I just... I. I feel like he should listen to this podcast. Well, I don't know if that's the best idea. Uh, Shout out Sarah's dad. Shout out out Jim. What are you doing? You know, the beautiful part about studying history is is we can look at timelines throughout history where anything has been hyped to a point where everyone's involved. And if everybody can, can engage, everybody can participate... And everybody has the belief that, you know, we've, we've, we've found the golden ticket that will make everybody rich, which is the, you know, what you will hear in most hyped up seminars on, on buying and investing in real estate, uh, which I typically advise people to stay away from. Uh, history is, is reeking with these massive inflated prices, followed by it's a cycle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there has been a lot of great, educated, intelligent people who have talked about real estate cycles, and Canada has been on the precipice for probably like the last eight years. Yet, um, it's defied that, which has given us a very false narrative. A narrative right. that, you know, we are ironclad, impossible, this is the most unshakable market on the planet, which is couldn't be farther from the truth. So it does sounds like you have a pretty strong opinion on what you expect to happen yes. in the housing market, particularly <laughs> yeah. in Toronto. So uh, yeah. at what point should us millennial generation even consider purchasing a home? Now, is, right. are we saying there's going to be one catastrophic bubble that's sure. about to pop in the housing market and we just need to hang on until this happens? Right. Keep hoping that the interest rates are slowly ticking up? Right. And at what point does the millennial generation have a chance of even buying a home? Well, that- your, your generation has much greater issues than just that. 
Look at us. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> so uh, every every generation, but however, it, it, I would still rather be in your generation than you know being your age during World War Two or World War One, um, where you would get drafted and, and your right. lifestyle would be horrible. Uh, this is this is a great time to be in that generation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd I'd like to be in your generation, even though the job markets are awful, um, <laughs> uh, just because of the technology advantages that you have access to. Mm. Uh, but to answer your question, with, 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 I have spoken to some of the most intelligent people uh, in the country on, on real estate cycles. This is not something the, the greatest minds can even remotely predict because of how many working pieces there are. Um, what we're talking about is more the macroeconomics at this point, and it's, it's, it's great to have an understanding, um, but the, the, the number of working pieces, like you're trying to gauge how everybody in the country kind of will react. Mm -hmm. And, and act going forward. You, did, nobody can predict that. I mean, fundamentally speaking, we can look at certain things and agree on. Uh, we have never seen real estate this unaffordable in this country. We, we know that. Yeah. We know that. And that is not sustainable. That That is fairly agreed upon. The only way these prices are sustainable is if we get some kind of what's called wage inflation. As a nation, can individuals become so productive, they make so much more money that they can afford these high prices and pay off this colossal debt? Probably not. It looks like no. It, it, it looks like a hard no. Well, well, just look at the millennial job opportunities. I would say that the next generation has their issues, but the, but the baby boomers have their issues as well because there's a huge. You could argue that they're the highest income, most productive. Although I'd argue that mm. um, um, generation, they're all selling their assets at the same time, right? Roughly around the same time, um, because that's typically what people do right before. They die. Sorry, but pass <laughs> away. Well, once you get into your retirement years, you start thinking about: Are my kids going to be looking after my, you know, right. assets? Could they be looking after my assets? Could my, you know, thirty-year-old son living in the basement playing Xbox really manage my twenty million dollars real estate? I'm just, like probably exactly not. right. Mm -hmm. um, but but these are the things that they they talk about. So so often, what needs to be done is. Exit strategy, the elderly sell all their assets roughly, and they move to another generation, but they have to be bought by somebody. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about the right. wealthiest generation selling their assets to the brokest generation. Ah, oh, the hilarity. Well, we talked, I mean, we right? talked about That's this gonna, on the last episode yeah. as well, because mm -hmm. that was sort of, if a lot of people are have most of their, let's say, retirement, like, investment income yeah. in a house... But they're trying to sell it to people that can't afford the house. Then right. something has to give. So logically, these prices are not sustainable. Like, right. On my way to work every single day, I drive through Brooklyn, and I swear to you, half of the properties are for sale. But they've been for sale for five, six, seven years. Sure. I've seen those same signs up there, and it's huge chunks of land, and it's really great real estate. And I promise you, those those farmers or those that older generation wants to get out, but it's just it's not affordable. Nobody can buy it. So it's just been sitting there for like six years. I'm sure, they'd like to, I'm sure they'd like to see that money, but I don't know if it's going to happen. A lot of analysts have been calling for a, a, a correction in the real estate market right. since mm -hmm. as early as about 2009, 2008 in Canada, right? And, and one of the things that's interesting now that, that hasn't occurred in the past is in the last two, three years, we've had two major stress tests that have been put into place. This is something that didn't exist before. We, we've closed the gap slowly over the last few years. Uh, on, on accessing credit to buy real estate, but but these have been huge changes. Uh, some would say as much as twenty percent of people who could afford mortgages in the past no longer can due to the stress test for both high ratio and conventional mortgages. Um, 
that is one of the reasons that we are seeing such falling volumes. If you want to stay on that topic for will there be a correction, you would look at certain indicators. Uh, mortgage origination is, is falling. The number of transactions in the GTA and surrounding areas is way down. Hmm. The West Coast is getting absolutely crushed in terms of um, homes being sold and price prices falling. And, and this spring will be very telling because if, if we do not see an uptick in volume, um, you are going to see a lot of people who depend on those volumes uh, all of a sudden selling their fancy cars and maybe unloading some of their negative carry assets, right? Um, and that will be the trigger point. Okay. Uh, we could very well be at the denial stage of a market cycle where you know things are looking pretty bad, but the vast majority of insiders are kind of patting each other back and saying it's going to be all right, things will pick up. But with no good reason why that would happen. Right. How so. long you, How long can you keep doing that for? So we're seeing volumes for mortgages coming down. Absolutely. Are we seeing the value of the mortgage that people are applying for increasing? Or what is that trend looking like? What we are seeing that's, that's alarming, although insiders that do what I do would likely not say so. Is, <laughs> Maybe is, denial? Well, <laughs> in the short term... You will see a decline in, in prime lending, but an incredible increase in subprime alternative. And could you explain the difference between Absolutely. prime and subprime just for uh, everybody? I'm not sure. <laughs> so, so prime lending is effectively, uh, imagine there's four boxes you can tick off. Good character, capacity, ability to repay is capacity, um, credit worthiness. Um, and that's your, your beacon score is good. You, you've never defaulted on your credit cards. And uh, collateral. So these are the four boxes of credit, right? Uh, that means you're buying a house. You're not buying you know, a farm in the middle of Timbuktu. The banks don't like lending on those. So, so assuming you fit into that nice clear cut box, you are what's called an A borrower, which means you will get the lowest interest rates and, and the most flexible terms, uh, assuming that you don't get really bad advice, uh, which is entirely possible in this market. It really is. Uh, we, we, when you have a market that grows this fast, uh, advice becomes uh, an issue. That's a prime uh, mortgage. If any of those boxes, if any of those things ticked off, do not apply. So in other words, you're self-employed, you can be moving to a B box. Yeah. Uh, and most likely are. Um, you missed a few credit card payments, you're going to a B box. You are um, injured by the stress test. Because you're not making quite enough money, mm -hmm. that means you're, you're now in the B box, right? Oh, jinkies. Mm -hmm. It was uh, half of our uh, generation. Oh, huge. Your generation <laughs> has lots of problems. Yeah. yeah. Damn. Um, you don't have the right down payment. Uh, you want to buy. Um, for, well, Collateral is not so much of an issue unless you live in a rural area. So, so we wouldn't focus on that too much. Um, but then you go to a B and C lender, and, and that's where rates can go up dramatically. Uh, dramatically. Um, a lot of people want to hold on to their houses that shouldn't be holding on to their houses because mm -hmm. they still have that hope that prices will rise. So uh, an interesting statistic is, is something like three out of four Canadians refinance their house before their term is up. They do something to it. Um, it shouldn't surprise you that most people use their homes as ATMs. Mm -hmm. Valuations rise, consolidate the debt, rinse, repeat, do it again. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just that's what we do mm -hmm. until you can't which is kind of where we're at, right? We, we don't have rapidly appreciating, appreciating home valuation anymore. And mortgages are, are, have never been this difficult to get. So people are going to that subprime market because they don't fit into that box. And, and it's very profitable for the lenders in that market because rates can hit, you know, 7 to 12%. Fees are, you know, very high, um, anywhere between like 1 and 4 and sometimes higher than that. 
as uh, compared to a prime, which would typically be like between three and four, okay. with like no fees. Yeah, <laughs> difference there. Right. Yeah. Or minimal, very marginal uh, cost entry. Uh, you know, so so from a from a right in front of you perspective, that might seem like a good idea. It might seem like a profitable thing for the uh, lenders and investors that are in that mm-hmm. game. Uh, but, but from a high level. There is not enough productivity coming from real estate to be paying that kind of interest yield um, without things eventually correcting. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. What about um, location, though? Like, what if I were to say Yorkville is prime real estate? People will all people who have money coming into the city or who live in the city will always want to be in Yorkville. Sure. Um, I. I'm going to buy a condo, a one-bedroom, sure. one-bath. Yeah. I'm going to buy a condo in 2019 sure. um, for the ver- that very point of having it, of, of yeah. having the like location be so prime. Sure. To live in or as an investment? As an investment. As an sure. investment. Yeah. So you're paying for, for that and then you're paying for your own rent. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. Right. So, so that happens. That, that's likely the reason people do exactly what you said. Right. Uh, it's also flawed, right. uh, completely flawed, because, uh, again, if you apply just two formulas, uh, an ROI on your cash outlay, like what you're putting in, mm-hmm. as, as a function of your net income that you would be drawing from, from the market rent, mm-hmm. um, you would be dramatically disappointed uh, when compared to the opportunities that exist anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, if return mattered to you, which hopefully it does... <laughs> Otherwise, why are you engaging in, in right. investing? Uh, Just for something. You know, <laughs> yeah. Seems fun. Uh, Xbox was getting yeah. boring, so exactly. I'm going to try investing. Now. It, but, but 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 what's interesting about that is is often people you know kind of FOMO it up. They don't want to miss out. And and well, my buddies bought some real estate, and they seem to be you know chatting about it uh, when they're hanging out. And I don't want to be the only loser here that doesn't own a rental property, right? That can be stronger than people think. Like. Uh, I would say that's so strong that the, the vast majority of real estate agents that I've given seminars to don't know how to calculate the ROI on an investment property. I mean, this is the simplest math. I, I, I could teach a 10-year-old to do this, right? And yet it's missed. So, so I would say those are the reasons people would typically do it. They're wrong. And if you applied simple formulas, um, you wouldn't get past the original, like the, the most basic test. Right. If you did get past that test... Then I would use some other things, like uh, which would probably hold true. If you could pick up properties distressed in that area, if they were down substantially because the market corrected, uh, I would I might get excited about buying those. But in this particular market, the numbers are atrocious from a yeah. return perspective. Yeah. So unless the market is at least distressed a little bit, our ROI is garbage, and there's no point. Uh, vir- in virtually most scenarios, yes. uh, the reason I can't say all scenarios is because there's always deals to be had. Of course, uh, because it's not the real estate; it's not the stock market. There, there is mm-hmm. plenty of transactions that occur that never even hit the market. Um, right. right, insiders do this all the time, okay. um, and there's quite a few very profitable transactions that occur in the real estate market that are not so obvious. And none of them are done by millennials. Is my wild guess. I would say probably not. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Just uh, curious. At least that hasn't been my observation. Yeah. Fair enough. 
So if someone is buying a, a property as an investment only, how long would they typically be holding that property for? What is like the typical duration? Right. That would, yeah. Again, that's going to be relative. Right. Uh, you know, obviously the hold, buy hold period for a 25 year old uh, can be dramatically longer than a, a 50 or 60 year old. Um, from a pure cash flow perspective, uh, it really matters on your exit strategy. Like your journey might be different than your journey and your all, all four of you here may have a different hold period. And I think that is going to be very specific. You might be wanting to move to Europe in five years, right? Oh and, and you oh might be gosh. wanting to, <laughs> I didn't tell you, you know, someone here might want to raise a family, uh, you know, on the outskirts of Muskoka. Oh, Muskoka. Oh, uh, no, my okay. hand's down. It was up. Now it's down. <laughs> okay. Well, wherever. And, and you know, your, so your whole period's 20 years, right? Sure. Um, because, because when you buy real estate as an investment starting off, it's nice to keep your finger on the pulse. Uh, you know, there is a skill set to it. It's not just acquiring the real estate. Unless you hire a very efficient property management company, which seems like overkill on your first one or two houses. Right. And that's the other thing. How many pieces of real estate do you want to buy? Mm-hmm. If you're only buying two, you can probably handle that yourself. You know, I can show you in 15 minutes how to do that. If you want to own 100, that's a different path. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you need a team of accountants to ensure that you're placing them properly and you need a team of financiers and a real estate agent that's scary. Yeah, is that uh, like a crazy idea of buying a whole bunch of properties? Is that an option for people? Look, like, do it, people do that? Uh, all, like all, huge absolutely. Yeah, like a yeah. ton of rental properties? It's uh, not even their side job anymore. It becomes their like... I have clients that, uh, you know, in some years have picked up 20 and 25 properties in like 12 months. That is, I think, how my first boyfriend became a millionaire. There you go. For another time when he was like 22. Yeah. <laughs> so crazy. are they just like that's not, flush with that's capital not or are they highly leveraged? Like I don't understand A bit how. of both. Uh, they have the capital. They're using as much leverage as they can acquire. Uh, uh, keep in mind, uh, that's not happening this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this is being done in a very fast rising market. Okay. And and the strategy uh, has a... Has a aspect of adding value to the real estate in the rising market. So so one of the most common plays you'll see is 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 people buying properties that can be converted to duplexes. So then you can add a small amount of money to renovate the property and now turn what was once a single family home into a home that can be rented to two families, okay. get a higher revenue stream. And and that seemed to be one of the last areas in, in investing where you could get a reasonable rate of return. Even the people I saw doing that were kind of to really get that juicy return going into sort of obscure areas. Well, right. that's what I'm when I I was looking sure. to purchase a home um, earlier in the year, um, earlier in or later in 2018, mm-hmm. early 2019. Um, not the ideal time, right? Winter um, is apparently is what you know right. real estate's low, um, but. I saw rental. I saw homes that were converted into like three, four u- different units yeah. Yeah. that you know somebody owned, and then they were just renting out to people. Sure, that's and where I live right now. That's where yeah, <laughs> right. my best friend and, lives in one of those. Right, and, and that's and that's where people are starting to you know, like you said, Jen, you live. That's where you live right now. That's where people are like yeah. looking. Is that? Like if you have four units in one house, like are you making money on that in in an area um, in Toronto? In my observation, well, again, it depends. That totally depends on when you bought. Okay. Right? You know, I, we've got clients that have owned rental properties. Even myself, I've managed my own apartment buildings. But going back 
15, 16 years ago. Um, I found the return on those assets about seven years ago became too low for my liking. Ooh. So I, I, that was like seven years ago because this might seem counterintuitive, but as a as real estate prices rise, if rents don't rise at the same percentage, what they typically do, they're, they're stickier, uh, the actual rate of return falls. Does that make right. sense? Well, that makes total sense. Perfect. Okay. That, okay, good. So, <laughs> so, so with prices never being this high relative to the rental rates, it, it, it's a clear mm-hmm. argument can be made. This is possibly the worst time to buy a rental property. You hear that, Dad? <laughs> Bad time. <laughs> Don't do it. Unless you're one of these unique players that, that are able to you know, negotiate a, a, a below market price or get something that can be converted. You know, It's being missed. It's a piece of crap. I mean, and you've got the foresight to, to renovate this and, and, and draw substantial income, maybe turn it into a duplex or a triplex because... Right. The municipalities, a lot of municipalities are big on intensification right now, which is a fancy word for population density. There's more people, exactly, in a small area. So, picking up on what you were saying about um, rent. So, rental amounts have increased in have. Toronto, at least, but you're saying, <laughs> sure. I mean, well, mine has at least, yeah. but you're saying not at a fast enough rate to keep up with Oh, right, right. So so if you look at the increase, well, take for example, one year, if, if you've got property valuations exploding in the, the peak of what some would call a bubble or some would call a, uh, um, an exaggerated or exuberant market, uh, you certainly wouldn't see rents increase by 25%. Mm-hmm. That, would, that would be insane. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it would be completely absurd. So so what, uh, what I'm suggesting is, is um, the statistics show that Rental increases do not happen in the same proportion as price increases yes. in a heated market. Um, having said that, they also don't fall, right? So, so if you were to see real estate prices fall, they, they will come down, but not to this, not as aggressively, okay. because because at the end of the day, rent is more a function of what people what incomes are, mm. right? And, and rents have not been this unaffordable either. That's what I'm thinking. Like, yeah. this really, this does not make any sense. Yeah. I don't see people's income <laughs> yeah. increasing, right? But I see people's rent increasing. Mm-hmm. And how is this going to be yeah. sustainable? Like, there it's has totally to be not. a correction. We all know it, of course. But of it's course, just a matter of when, and no one wants to try and predict that mm-hmm. because no. so tell us, Bruce, when? Yeah, when we will need it happen? to know. <laughs> Well, I, I could tell you what did one of my f- clever friends once say when asked that question. You would you would you want to say what, and you want to say when, but you never want to say both together in the same sentence. Um, <laughs> so so I I would argue that um, what what could not be agreed upon is the intensity of a correction. Um, well, one thing I would argue is it's likely not what we call a soft landing. Um, history doesn't have a lot of evidence to show soft landings. That's where kind of things. You know, explode upwards and then stabilize. Uh, mm-hmm. That seems to be mythical. Mm. Um, what's more than likely is we'll see uh, a, a correction. Things will decline. Um, one thing I will tell you that's fascinating about our country is the whole system is backing real estate. So, so that means that in a natural situation, in a purely capitalistic market, which this is not, uh, but this without government intervention. Uh, I, I think that the intensity of which prices could fall could be pretty eye-popping. You'd be blown away. I think we would all be blown away. Um, but, but the country is too dependent on that. So, 
So if we can predict what the government would likely do, uh, they can trigger, follow, they could lower interest rates. They could, in theory, walk back some of the stress tests, making money more easily accessible. Uh, they could they could do quantitative easing, stimulate the insurers that back the banks like CMHC and Genworth to make products more available to you know, young people. All of that will likely happen. Um, so it's very difficult to 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 say not only when, um, um, but how intense. Because when you want to say when, you're also trying to predict how how the population will react together, right? right? There, there, there is an inherent belief structure that exists today that our grandparents couldn't even comprehend. Like the amount of debt, right? That that a first time home buyer putting five percent down, going buying something twenty times their down payment, right? And, I'm crying. And, and holding like a half million dollar mortgage, for example, uh, totally acceptable in, in 2019. That, that somehow, that flies all day. Nobody finds that remotely strange. Scary. Uh, would be impossible to stomach in our grandparents' generation. So so we think differently, right? So, it, so it's very difficult to predict this question. When will a large enough amount of people either tap out because they're just exhausted. They, they can't refinance their homes anymore in scale to subsidize their lifestyle, which is exactly what people have been doing in my generation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the vast majority of, of, of Canadians. Uh, to such a number that they have to sell their real estate in distress. Not, they cannot hold on to it anymore. In, in the think tank conversations I've had, that seems to be the unpredictable thing, but what it will be. So if, if you wanted to predict this, you would simply have to look at when people start defaulting on their mortgages. Until that happens, uh, Canadians, based on how we like love real estate, like the love affair is deep, uh, we will go into exceptional amounts of debt. Uh, we will rack up second mortgages if we have to. We'll go into private debt. We've seen private lending skyrocket in the last year. Uh, this does not happen unless Canadians don't love real estate that much, right? Uh, so I think we will have to see people tap out. And then you'll see delinquencies. So if you had to watch something, watch when people start defaulting on their mortgages. And, and that's going to likely be the prime indicator of when. Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah. In the meantime, enjoy your rented spaces. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, like renting is not you know, bad. I mean, if you... Right. You know, there are many people I know that are sophisticated renters uh, that, that have made the argument that they're passing over the risk. Think about this for a second. The risk of home ownership to someone else so they can enjoy this beautiful property. Mm. Uh, they're, not, yeah. they're not risking their capital yeah. um, in this market. But so some would say they're just throwing their money, like they're throwing their money away. Uh, like they're not, like it's not being invested. Like it, there's no... Sure. Right? Yeah, but then you have to kind of apply some other thinking. Like, okay, well, I just bought this house. Okay, well, let's think about that. If I just bought this house at 5% down after CMHC, after fees, after if I wanted to sell it, it would cost 5%. I'm controlling the house. Like, let's be serious. The bank owns the house. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm renting from the bank. I just have a lot more rights over the house. Right. If you think you own the house, miss a mortgage payment. You know, they, it's not yours. <laughs> it's re you'll see how much it's really not yours, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so that's something to think about. Uh, often people use that as an excuse. What you just said that that is a common excuse. Right. Um, it's not any different than the excuse of, well, you know, if it goes down, I'll hold it for thirty years. 
That's an absolutely ridiculous thing to say. Uh, it, 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 it's just through lack of trying. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I'll use extreme but simple math. If you could buy a house today, and and I held off because, let's say, I believed it might drop 50% in value, and it did. Call it a condo because that's my life. Well, in a year from now, I could buy – this is how simple the math is. I could buy two of the same thing that you have one of. Clearly, one option is better than the other. Like that—that that is the simplest math. Yeah, right. I, I could do that on a whiteboard with crayons, <laughs> and, and that makes sense. So, so the yeah, like the, the opportunity arises when when things you like go on sale. Mm-hmm. A, a, a correction in the market is another way of saying, like, if I was in your generation, this would be like the best thing that could happen. Right. Would be a market correction. Yeah, what we're talking about is the thing you want to acquire going on sale. Mm-hmm. Um, my generation would not think that that would be devastating because that home equity, which is the, what not only what they live in, but th- that equity to them is actually an investment. Right. Oh, I think of my parents. Like, sure. yeah. I'm hoping, I am hoping that the value of their house doesn't go down. But if it does, that means I might have a better chance in the market. Like, it's, exactly. I think yeah. about that a lot too. I'm like, I really want you guys to be able to retire and take some of this money with you but I also really don't because I really want to live somewhere yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, one of the most terrifying things to look at is the uh, reverse mortgages are on the rise uh, aging population is, is really banking on their home equity to retire uh, that's terrifying uh, because home equity in this market is not a secure right it's not secure it's not. it just isn't I mean but we can all understand why people might think that right I mean, we've had like close to two decades of this sort of gradual. If you see something occur long enough, even if it's unsustainable, um, I know really smart people that think this this thing is is the way it is now, right? That that real estate no longer cycles. That the constant above inflation increase in pricing is just the new norm, and and they can come up with every reason, uh, you know, from from everyone needs a place to live. Even though I've said everyone in Africa needs a place to live too, but you don't see real estate prices skyrocketing there. Facts. Right? Mm. Uh, clearly, something else is also required, <laughs> right? Mm. Uh, to justify why they should acquire these things. This is hype. Yeah. That's hype. That's that's not investing. That's speculating and fear of missing out. FOMO is real. I was going to say the FOMO we, again. Here we've we done a few series <laughs> on you know FOMO yeah. investing, like yeah. fear of missing out and on an investment and. Yeah. We, we see that it is very, very real, yeah. no matter millennials, not millennials. Um, but I think, no, I think this was a great conversation. Um, a little bit scary, a little bit upsetting, but that's okay. <laughs> really? I do no, feel I a little I, pessimistic now. No, I, I almost find opportunistic. Uh, like eye-opening, eye-opening, um, yeah. honest and in a great way. I honestly feel better about not owning a home for a little bit. I actually feel comforted. Well, I feel I feel good that everyone knows it's ridiculous. Yeah, like yeah. hearing from you saying that the yes. market is ridiculous yeah. and something has to correct is, is reassuring. Yeah. yeah, I feel validated. I feel validated. Yeah, yeah. I feel totally validated. For, for, my, for my story, the end was didn't purchase a house, didn't purchase a condo, renting right now. And mm. we I, I'm so happy doing that um, because like you said, it's you, you like where you're living but you have none of the real like risk right well yeah like if you if you got a condo downtown where they're losing money every month you're actually being subsidized yeah 
That's Ooh. incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't like thinking of it that way. Well, no, that's what I mean. Sense. To be a rector means like you're, you're actually like your landlord's a philanthropist. Ah, ah, yes. Sometimes. That's the nicest, nicest way I've ever heard someone describe it. You're all day winning on that trip. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That is true. That's true. Well, thank you, yeah, for giving us that perspective. I'm feeling feeling good. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, getting educated is wise. Um, Learning how to invest in real estate now is fantastic. You can spend that time to learn. Um, um, As long as you have an income coming in that you can acquire these, uh, if there's a significant enough sale on real estate, then you'll know how to do it when the time is right. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you have the environment working against you currently right now, um, during the Great Depression, I think it was uh, John F. Kennedy Sr. increased his net worth 300%. Right? So, so a recession, which is possible, is not a bad thing. If you've got good work ethic, you're, you're, you're innovative, you're able to seek opportunities, there are way more opportunities in a down market than there is in an up. And, you know, is if you're smart. That was and, the time for training. Yeah. For building up our knowledge, building up our skills. <laughs> now like is it. the time to become intelligent so that you can be like a surgeon um, when the opportunities arise and not emotional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that, by the way, that, that is investing 101. Don't feel, think. Don't feel, think. I like it. That's the takeaway. <laughs> That's the takeaway. There you go. Thank you so much, Bruce. This was great. Oh